Well, I'm wrapping up today this series that we've been doing, talking about our faith and our finances and how that all works together. And we've been using the back of a dollar bill and looking at some of the things that are printed on it. So we started the series with the words, in God we trust. And then we moved over to the left-hand side of the bill. There we go. Annuit Keptus, favor our undertaking. Last week, we moved over to the right-hand side to e pluribus unum, out of the many one. In other words, we're all into this together. And then today I want to talk about this, Novus Ordo Seclorum, which means the new order of the ages. Now I think we print this on our money because we Americans just sort of have that sense of manifest destiny, don't we? And in fact, when our country was founded, there was certainly a sense that something new was happening. This was a new order of the ages. History is forever changed by the American experiment. But on the other hand, every rising empire wants to think of itself as the new order of the ages, as superseding everything that ever came before it. Why is it, though, that we always want that new order of the ages? Why do we always want something better than what we've had? Well, because we've never made it. We've never achieved a human society the way we all know it really should be, but we just can't seem to get there. Well, as the Roman Empire was collapsing... St. Augustine wrote his famous book, The City of God. And in that, he describes a Christian view of human history. What Augustine teaches us is that the city of God, the original city of God, was the Garden of Eden. But ever since leaving Eden, what humanity has always tried to do is set up a rival city, a kingdom of power and of wealth and, and far from God. It was always east of Eden, right? So in the Holy Scriptures, you find kingdoms like Egypt and Babylon, and in the New Testament, the empire, the Roman Empire. And in our own modern era, think of the Third Reich or the Soviet Union. But we've got to take time to reflect upon this kingdom, this empire, our own. I love our country. I, I suspect every one of us here does. But the signs are all around us, friends. But the empire is cracking. And we want to blame it all on politics, and politics has a lot of blame. But it's more than that. It's the popular opinion that guides our value system here in the United States. The building block of human society is not a political kingdom. It's not a state or an empire. If you go back to Eden, to God's city, It was then and it still is now the family. That's the building block of humanity. A man united to a woman who together make children and then raise those children. So then what happens when a political kingdom comes along and wants to mess with that? Or when popular opinion and and even for what they probably think is good intentions wants to come and redefine what family means and what God created it to be? By the way, all of this, none of this started back in 2015 when the Obergefell case came, remember that, and same-sex marriage was now legalized in this country? It goes back much further than that. It goes back to no-fault divorce. And I'd suggest to you it goes back even further to that. There was, at some point in our history, a shift in the understanding of marriage. You see, marriage had always been, not just by Christians and and, and Jews, marriage had always been really kind of defined by all cultures as a one flesh union between a man and a woman that then creates life. But somewhere in modern history, we shifted and we began to define marriage on an emotional bond. 
the strength of how I feel about someone. So if it's about, well, we love each other, well, then why not? Why can't I marry whoever I want to, whenever I want to, and when I don't feel that way anymore, be done with it? How's that going for us? Because that's been the shift. Let me ask another one. What happens when a society refuses to protect the most innocent and vulnerable life, fragilely nurtured in the most beautiful temple God ever created, a woman's body? I didn't even plan that. Life right there. Woo! Love it. Now, Let's all, some of you out there think he's going all Fox News on us, right? Illiberal agenda bashing time. No, no, no. Let's, let's, let's turn the tables a little bit. What happens when that same dignity and respect for life isn't given to everyone? What happens when hatred and bias and even violence, they're actually excused? Well, because they're different from us. When it's based on where someone's born or how they look or, or how they act or, or maybe their values are different than ours. What happens when we lose our ability for civil discourse, for civility itself? And what happens when on top of all of that you have this sort of perfect storm where the arrogance and the pride and the greed over all of our wealth and over all of our power. And then on top of all of that, you have like the sort of the cherry on the top of the Sunday where you have corruption that will do anything to hang on to that power and that wealth. My brothers and sisters, the new order of the ages is in total disorder. But that shouldn't be a surprise to us as Christians. See, the wheat always has to live among the weeds. It always has. Now, there are some who believe that our society is actually getting progressively better because we're becoming more tolerant. And really what the church should do is accommodate that. The church should imitate the weeds. But then there's others who, like those workers in the parable, they say the answer is to rip out the weeds. Get rid of them, right? Get rid of those people, whoever they are. Vote in the right people. Lock up or deport the wrong people. Build bigger walls. Drop bigger bombs. That's how you deal with it. And then there's others who even think what we should do is rip up the wheat and transplant it somewhere else where it's safer and insulated and not as painful. Well, hopefully by now I have offended everyone's political sensibilities and views. And the reason is, friends, how much longer, how, how everybody always wants to claim Jesus. Jesus is on our side. Jesus is on our side. How many times does Jesus have to tell us that his kingdom's not of this world? And we'll finally believe him. He is, he's above politics. Jesus teaches us that the wheat and the weeds have to live side by side. Any so-called new order of the ages and his kingdom. There's nothing new here. This is the same old human history lesson. It's just a different attempt at being empire. So I was on vacation a few years ago with my family and I was hiking with my boys in the Badlands. I don't know if you can read that little sign behind us there, but this just cracked me up to no end. It says, end of trail. So we've been hiking through this kind of, we're up on these big rocks and we're going through this valley and we come to this point and it says, end of trail. Well, if you looked over past that sign, 
It was like a cliff. I mean, it was obvious. This is the end of the trail because if you go past that trail, you're going to like fall to your death and it's going to be the end of you. But I thought of this sign. Friends, we're approaching the cliff, whether we want to believe it or not. We're approaching the cliff, the end of the trail. The American empire is going to collapse. It's not because I want it to. I certainly don't. But because every empire of this world collapses. And hanging above our heads is this reminder of what humanity will do. Humanity that tries to set up a rivalry with God, to rebel against him and make its own city without him. This is the depths to which we will sink. This is the heights of arrogance and pride that we will rise, ascend towards. This is the total abuse of our wealth and our power hanging right there. We we human beings will kill God. And not just 2,000 years ago, to this day, we're still trying to crucify and to silence Jesus. And all the while to mock him, putting a crown of thorns on his head. But you you see, the thing is, the irony of it all is that that crown of thorns on his head is actually our crown. We, we want to think that we get gold crowns and we can go around and set up our little rival kingdoms. But no, no, our crowns are the crowns of suffering. That's what we create. Every empire of the world creates pain and suffering. But the beautiful irony is that Jesus willingly accepts our crown. He lets us put it on his head. And in the greatest reversal in human history... God turns it all upside down. What he does is he takes this moment of the greatest human depravity, of our wildest rebellion, and he takes this event and he actually works our redemption through it. And he offers us something brand new. The new order of the ages that we're all trying desperately to create with the latest empire, it all dies with him. The irony is that it's not the end of the trail for Jesus, it's the end of the trail for all the empires of the world. Because see, on a Sunday morning, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, rose from the dead. It wasn't the end. It's actually just the beginning of a new trail for humanity, the recreation of the city of God, the return to Eden, the kingdom of heaven. Here now is the one and only new order of the ages that we're all searching to find, but it finally dawned on Easter Sunday morning, and it brings hope to humanity. One of my favorite writers, Richard John Newhouse, gave this simple, beautiful definition of hope. Hope is faith directed to the future. You see, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope. That hope trusts in God's future, and it points our life down a new trail, away from the passing pleasures and the power and the money and the fame and the possessions and all the happiness that it claims that it's going to give us, but it never delivers. It's a hope that creates within us a desire for heaven and for eternal life with God. It's a hope that anticipates the city of God that will someday be ours, the kingdom of heaven. See, far from being pessimistic, we Christians are eternally optimistic. And yet, as Richard John Newhouse would also say this, optimism is not simply a matter of optics, of seeing what we want to see and not seeing what we don't want to see. Listen to this. Hope is only hope 
when it's hope with eyes wide open to all the challenges hope. In other words, when the wheat knows full well it's living in the weeds. And at the same time, that hope is not some pie-in-the-sky psychological escape. You know, cares little for life now, we're just going to hold out for the future. Oh, no, no, no. Hope grabs the future and drags it into the present, brings it into the now. It changes us. It changes how we see things. It changes the priorities that we set in, on life, and it changes the actions that we take through our faith. St. Augustine's also credited with saying this, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain the way that they are. And yet this kingdom of heaven, friends, the true new order of the ages is not our project. It's actually his gift. It's wherever we find Jesus, the risen one, living and working and establishing his kingdom in the hearts of his people. The kingdom of heaven, the new order of the ages, is here among us because he is here among us. And he invites us to align our lives with what he's doing and to place our hope in him. And when we do that, then he builds that kingdom through us. So as we've been looking, this whole series, at faith and finances in modern America... One of the things I've talked about are money faith killers. Attraction to money that wants it more than it wants God. Anxiety over money that doesn't trust that God will actually provide. Acedia, which is sloth or laziness and indifference that doesn't want to put to use what God has given to us. And I've got one more, and this one may sound a little funny at first, but it's an aversion to money. You know, I got to thinking about it after all the things I've said about money. One of the things we Lutherans do really well is guilt. And so we'd start thinking about our money, like, oh, start feeling guilty. Maybe I should, you know, maybe I should sort of avoid money. It's so terrible. It must be so evil. No, it's not. It's a gift. Your money is a gift. It's a gift from God. In fact, in what we heard in the, in the first reading is that we're to enjoy it. And here's how. Paul says this. Set your hopes, not on your money, set your hopes on God, who richly provides everything to enjoy. Not to feel guilty about it, but to enjoy what he gives to you. But then Paul begins to kind of challenge our thinking a little bit more and say, well, what does it mean to really enjoy it? And he gave us some very simple advice. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, that storing up and laying a good foundation isn't like your own little personal project. You know, like I'm trying to win points with God. So, you know, I'm trying to like build my little place in heaven with all the good that I do. Of course not. No, no, no. What Paul does is every time he uses the word foundation in the New Testament, he's always talking about building the church. It's not about my little personal savings account in heaven. It's about building the kingdom. And then that makes you realize, well, then the treasures he's talking about must be people. It's all about taking what you have and using it for the sake of others and reaching them with the love of Jesus. To enjoy, to have joy in you for your things and what your money, that's what it means to truly live. And so all the faith killers I talked about have to give away to what I'll call the faith spiller. 
this word alignment. When we align our hearts with God's heart, what happens to us is that our faith then spills out into everything in our lives, including our finances. We have to align our finances, friends, with our faith. If you're trying to keep two separate categories in your life, here's my money over here, here's my God over here, it doesn't work. We align everything with Jesus. And so we take that currency that says, here's the new order of the ages, and we get to have the joke on the money. We take that money, and we use it for the real new order of the ages, for his kingdom, to lay a foundation, to build up treasure, to win people for Jesus, and to enjoy doing it, to truly live. My family is ready to make our commitments for next year. And we're ready to do this not because I'm the pastor and I better put my money where my mouth is, right? We're ready to do it because the Milkies believe the kingdom of God is among us, right here in our Trinity family. That Jesus is working here among us. We are just one little church and school. And we are just trying desperately to be that wheat in what at times seems like an overwhelming field of weeds, does it not? But you see, we believe in a God who says, I'll take a little mustard seed and I'll grow a great big tree. I'll take a little bit of yeast and I'll infect that dough and it'll spread and my love will fill it all. If that's what you believe, if you believe Jesus is here working among us, then he invites you to come now and to help him build his kingdom. To make your commitments, it's not just your financial commitments, it's committing your life to him. So as our worship team is making their way back up here and will lead us in some music, I want to now invite you to come up. Bring your commitment cards, bring your regular offering, bring your attendance card, you can put it all in the basket up here. If you you don't want to come up the steps, there's a basket down there, but I always say this, please don't do like the drive-by drop-in, like, off we go. (laughs) Bring it up. And spend some time in prayer. Because again, this is more than your financial commitment. This is the commitment or the recommitment of your life. If you're a guest here among us, of course, we do not expect you to bring those cards up and make a commitment. But we do invite you to come up and make a commitment of your heart to Jesus and spend some time up here in prayer. There's no order. Come up anytime you want to.